Daily lectionary comments for June the 23rd. We're going to look at Proverbs 27 and John chapter 20. Proverbs 27. Our, um, our reading today is bounded by a, a couple of interesting Proverbs that uh, are really kind of paired and they make for a nice, um, nice bookends here. The first one is uh, verse one, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Practical advice, James quotes that. So when you start talking about what you're going to do and what's going to happen tomorrow is that you have control over it. You're boasting. Don't do that. Because only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Verse 23, on the other hand, says this. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? The sense of this is essentially you don't know what's going to happen with your riches. So you need to have a plan. You need to have contingencies in case this happens or in case th that happens. Know what your backup plans are with your herds and with your flock. If the, if the crops fail, for example, or in wintertime, how are you going to provide for yourself? Well, so pay attention to what you've got. In other words, plan for the future sensibly and plan for contingencies rather than boasting about tomorrow. Both of them are talking about the uncertainty of the future. One is saying it is not wise to boast about to what you're going to do tomorrow. It is wise, however, to plan for the vicissitudes of, of life. Okay, so that's, uh, that's one proverb. There are several proverbs here that relate to friendship. For example, Verse six, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So when an enemy wants you to think that they, they like you, um, they overdo it with the, uh, with the kind words and affection and so forth. On the other hand, a friend who truly does like you might very well speak uh, words that hurt because you need to hear them. Verse nine says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Verse 10 talks a little bit more about a friend. Do not forsake your friend and your friend's friend. And do not go to your brother's house on the day of your calamity. In other words, show up at your brother's doorstep because he's your brother and doesn't have any choice but to take you. The last part of this is, is really getting at the point. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So yeah, your, your family member might have to take you in. But isn't it better to have somebody who wants to take you in and wants to help you? And that's what a friend is. Okay, so three Proverbs regarding friendship. Now, here are three Proverbs that deal with praise. The first one is in verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Of course, it's very unseemly to praise yourself and to toot your own horn. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, don't do that. It's, uh, it's embarrassing and not good. Here's another sense in which um, uh, praises can be not really very good. Verse 14 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. This actually is a little bit like verse 6 that talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
In other words, when somebody goes over the top with their praise for you, uh, when, when they really seem to be buttering you up with flattery and all that kind of stuff, um, rather than being flattered and being praised, you're, you're liable to consider that this is a knife that's about to go in. You're going to count that as a curse. Verse 21, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. So how you handle praise, how you handle genuine praise, especially, does it go to your head? Does it make you think that you're more important than you really are? Does it make you think you're more important than others? Is this something that you have to have and that you demand? Well, this will test a man deep in his heart. Interesting that, that this, uh, this is very similar to another proverb, the crucible for the silver and the furnace for the gold, but the Lord tests the heart. That's uh, Proverbs 17, dash, or, or, uh, verse 3. So anyway, three verses that speak of, uh, of praise and its potential danger uh, for uh, the one who receives it. John chapter 20, verse 1. This is John's account of Easter morning and the resurrection. And um, it's, it's a wonderful account, just like the other things that John does, the other accounts that John gives us concerning Holy Week or other uh, aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, the, the basic timeline, the sequence of events, um, John agrees with the other Gospels, but he adds a lot of material. He's writing somewhat later, and he is writing with an understanding of what the other apostles have already have already written. So from John's point of view, a lot of times he's giving the backstory additional things that, um, that, that he believes that Christians will be greatly blessed to hear. Here's what I would say about, about John's account that, that strikes me as I read it. It is playful. It is filled with humor. It's just a really joyful read. We're talking about the most momentous event in all of history, and it is playful, and it is humorous, the way John deals with it. Two things about it, well, really three things, are humorous. The first thing is uh, the account of how Peter and John race to the tomb. First off, John is the, is the one who's referred to when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John's signature. He never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved or something like that. So in this account, when he's talking about this other disciple, he's talking about himself. And the account is a race. Peter and John race. Now, Peter, in one sense, uh, is sort of the first among equals, kind of the leader of the apostles. But John points out that he may be the leader of the apostles, but when we race to the tomb, I got there first. It's possible that John was a little bit younger than Peter. Uh, at any rate, uh, he twice mentions that he got to the tomb first. And you might say, well, who cares? Well, that's part of the playfulness and the humor of this. I got there first. Now, true, Peter went in. He, because that's what Peter does. Uh, he rushes in where angels fear to tread. Perhaps John was a little bit more cautious. Peter gets there after John, but then he goes straight on in. To the tomb. So we have this little humorous race uh, where, where John is clearly, uh, you know, highlighting the fact that he got there first. Now, the second playful and humorous aspect of this is how um, Mary encounters Jesus. 
It is very clear from all the Gospels that the disciples did not see Jesus until Easter evening. The only ones who saw Jesus before Easter evening were the women, particularly Mary Magdalene. And John is giving us a fuller account of that, a playful account, because Mary sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Now, this is because Jesus is hiding his identity from her, just as he hides his identity from those that are on the way uh, on the road to Emmaus in Luke. So he hides his identity. So she doesn't recognize him. She has this conversation with him, though. And she takes him to be the gardener, which is funny. You mistake Jesus, the Messiah who rose from the dead, as the gardener. But she does. And this is meant, again, to give joy to the disciples as they think about the confusion and the happiness uh, and the irony of that morning. Okay, third, a little bit of humor in here, and that is after Jesus says uh, to Mary, after he calls her by name, Mary, it's a beautiful and poignant moment when cutting through all the confusion, Jesus uses Mary's name and calls her by name, and then immediately she realizes who this is. Well, then she's grabbing hold of him, and so Jesus is trying to say, stop holding on to me. I, you can see what's going on. Now that Jesus is back from the dead, they're not going to let him go again. And Mary is holding on for dear life. And it's like Jesus is having to peel her fingers and arms off of him so that he can continue to do the work that he needs to do. And he's reassuring her, uh, I haven't yet ascended to my father, but go and tell the other disciple. It's very, it's a very humorous moment. Now, humor is a, is a wonderful way the humor and the playfulness this is a wonderful way to talk about the joy that will be ours at the resurrection. When we enter into paradise after our deaths or on the day of resurrection, all of the griefs and all of the fears of this present age are going to melt away. And I think that the one emotion we're all going to fear, feel on that day is just the urge to laugh out loud. It will be such a joyful moment.